Um, I, agree. I bring greetings from the land of Kenya. I'll tell you a little about it. Uh, my presentation is a little different from what we had in the, in the books you have because as I set out preparing this presentation, I realized um, I needed to say more than I had suggested that I would say. And so my, my presentation this morning is focusing on more than empowerment, the Christian mandate. I've realized as I reflected on the topic that our call as Christians goes beyond empowerment as we know it. And I'll do this just using my personal vocational journey. Um, in the book of First John, uh, he talks about uh, relating or bearing witness to what he had seen, what he had touched, and what he had experienced. And I realized that in my own journey through my vocation, I have great um, insight that I can share about moving from dependency to empowerment. Uh, just for those who don't know Kenya, uh, a bit of background. Kenya is in the central eastern coast of Africa. Um, it's cut right ac across by the equator. Um, it has five degrees um, above and five degrees below the northern and, and southern hemispheres. Our capital is, is Nairobi. We have a population of about 500,000, about 38 million people and an acreage that's very close to Texas um, in comparison. My journey begins, and my journey begins, began in the mouth. I was trained as a dental surgeon um, way back in the early uh, mid-80s. That's my daughter there uh, doing the demo. Um, when I was trained as a dentist, that was, became my entire life. My focus was um, it was all about keeping people's teeth healthy, and I came to, to an understanding by the, the end of my, my training that we needed to get uh, everyone trained as a dentist. I, 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 it was so magnified in my head that um, the way to go about dealing with the dental health problem in our country was, was having dentists trained. Um, I remember just thinking that, you know, we just train about 14 dentists every year and thinking that that was not going to cover our country at all. Well, I went back and did a second degree in public health and, you know, my eyes were opened. Um, I realized that it was not the health provider that was the prime player in uh, healthcare provision, but people themselves are, the, are responsible for their own health. I realized that the reality of it is that in a population, the majority, only a small minority really need health care in the sense of uh, coming in for treatment. Um, there's a percentage that will be at risk because of their behavior and, and lifestyle, but the, the, the greater majority of people will not really require um, um, a dentist really per se, if they are given the right prevention and promotion information. And so this was a realization that I came into, that, um, that our own governments had come into back in the late uh, 1980. Uh, many governments came together and realized that primary health care, which is empowering people with information, 
and the wherewithal to keep themselves healthy was the way to go if all people were to be reached with, with health. In fact, they had uh, what they called the Alma Atta Declaration, where many governments signed off on a primary health care as the strategy to ensure health for all by the year 2000. Well, that didn't happen because um, many governments signed off on that declaration but didn't really put the dollar where or the money where uh, they said it was essential. So whereas they said primary health care is the strategy, uh, our governments continued to put most of their resources into curative, curative care that targets just, um, that really was used by a small minority of the population. Well, for me, um, I had to make a decision. Having known this, was I going to continue to focus on curative care um, or move into what I understood now as, as the process of empowering people in, um, in taking uh, uh, hands on their own uh, health care, their health decisions? Well, I made a decision that I was going to move into public health. And I thank God for the opportunity I had um, sorry. to work with, um, with Johns Hopkins. But before I go to that, I want to just share the, the definition of, of empowerment as I understood it. And this was really from, um, from the internet. I got two good def definitions that I, I, I really felt captured the concept of empowerment. That empowerment is the restoration in individuals of the sense of their own value and strength. Um, they're able to handle their own life problems and make decisions on them. Um, that captures the, the aspect of just increasing the, the ability of people to make their own decisions. The second one uh, talks about a more holistic, it's not just about one aspect of, of the person's um, health, but it talks about the spiritual, the political, the environmental, the economic ability of, uh, of individuals and communities um, to, to really do what they need to do to keep healthy. So I thank God that um, in 1994 he gave me the opportunity to work with Johns Hopkins University, the Center of, of Communication Programs. I worked in the Kenya office. I was responsible for a number of uh, programs that targeted communities through government and non-governmental organizations, um, enabling them to understand what the issues around specific health issues were and how they could make responsible uh, decisions. So they are a cutting-edge um, organization in, in behavior change and, and, and advocacy. Uh, I just want to share, just so that we understand the approach they took in terms of, um, of the way they did things. I was involved in what they called the Hakiako campaign. Um, Johns Hopkins was big on mass communication, mass media um, uh, communication campaigns. And Hakiako, which means you're right, uh, in, in Kiswahili, was one of the most successful um, campaigns we, we did. Hakiako campaign came in response to what was found out as a major problem in our country. In the early 80s, the total fertility, uh, average number of children a woman will have in her lifetime was, a, was about eight. And, you know, extrapolation, that we realized we were not going to be able to handle that kind of population. So Johns Hopkins was invited by USAID, the, the, uh, who was in partnership with our government, 
to respond or help the government put together a campaign that would increase people's uptake of family planning and also um, strengthen responsibility at a family level to take care of the children they had. So in response to that, they went about a lot of research, um, did um, a, a real understanding of what the communication gaps were, um, found two major things that, that spouses were not, not discuss, discussing around family planning issues, and also that healthcare providers didn't have accurate, or many didn't communicate that family planning methods were safe and effective. And so we had a fabulous campaign. This, this just captures one of the, um, one of the, the times we had um, street meetings where people would um, come together and there would be a, a lot of education, a lot of um, um, drumming up support for, for this way of looking at things. Um, talk to your partner, that wasn't happening. Um, uh, go to the clinic for, your, for, for, for family planning methods. Well, it was in 10 years, the, the total fertility came down from eight to four. And it was remarkable. Um, so that in the demographic and health survey of 1993, we were down to four children per woman. Uh, Johns Hopkins belie believed in empowering na nationals in a sense, uh, in that they didn't come and, s and settle, they didn't manage the program. They had nationals look after um, the program. I was um, in charge of the program with the country director. We employed, we brought together organizations that were involved in reproductive health to manage the program and implement it. Um, we used healthcare providers and um, it, was, it was really a good model for, for development communication. It was, as I said, a multimedia campaign, a lot of uh, mass media, but also a lot of interpersonal and group, group uh, communication. There was a training of, of community-based distributors, healthcare providers. We streamlined the, the, the referral systems. And um, as I said, the management was by a consortium of, of, um, of, of organizations involved in reproductive health. Um, one of the things that, um, sorry. This model was, was taken up by a lot of organizations who, who, who funded projects. We did the same with what we called the Kenya Youth Initiatives Project that was also created in response to, to um, problems that were, were found with young people um, in the area of making decisions to, to, to prevent uh, unwanted pregnancy and, and contracting HIV and AIDS. The second program, actually, I won't go into the details of it, but the model was, was really similar. Um, but it, it was proposed as a UNAIDS um, best practice um, project, as well as I was also proposed as a, to, to, to have an award for the Martin Luther uh, Award because of my involvement with the project. Um, so very successful. But just so that we take away what I, uh, the focus is, um, this project was a JHU-PCS initiated, although in response to um, a real need in the country. It was developed and implemented by, by Johns Hopkins. It was funded entirely by uh, USAID through J Johns Hopkins. Um, at the end of, of, of it, as I said, we had remarkable impact, uh, but for a time, 
in our last DHS, that's a demographic and health survey, we found that the trend is going upward again. We have uh, an average of um, five to six children per, per, per woman now. And that tells us that unless such campaigns con continue or we do something differently, um, this is not something that will last. At the end of the day, there was empowerment for a time for those who were involved, but um, again, once the input stopped, uh, then there wasn't that continuation. Well, we received a lot of kudos as Johns Hopkins. I mean, we were really um, the name on everyone's lips because we had done it. Um, not to say that's bad. Well, in, at, towards the end of uh, 1999, um, the direction of my vocation changed because I was called. Um, I know we are all called. As Christians, we are all called to, to serve our Lord. Um, I had never to that point seen my work as part of my, my worship and how I did things. Um, but in 1999, the Lord began to speak to me, and this is some of what started to prime my heart to, to want to hear from him. He said things like, how long will you continue in your simple ways? Um, and I, I started for the first time realizing, one, getting restless with, yes, there's this campaign, you do it, but you know the heart of the matter is, even if a, a, a woman has two or four or five children, um, what does that really, if this woman decides to take care of them or not take care of them, at the end of their life, you know, there needs to be something more than you physically achieved a number of children per woman than, um, than you know, um, and, and it making it more meaningful. I remember the Lord saying to me that at the end of your, your life, you might have nothing, you will have nothing to show for it. And I was restless with that because I thought I was doing pretty well. Um, I say I hadn't made the connection between work and, and my, my life as a Christian as such, but I used to do various things. I, I prayed a lot. I, I was invited to speak occasionally, and I, I did that. Um, I, I helped people. I didn't see where the, the gap was at that point. But then I, I came to realize that unless something had eternal value, you know, as I said, it wasn't just about changing or addressing the health issues of someone, but going beyond that. Uh, unless someone had, uh, unless what I did was had eternal value, um, it was not really achieving for the kingdom of God. And I realized my call was to be a vessel in His hand, to bring health and healing and wholeness and restoration and transformation to individuals and com communities. Um, the scriptures were, were proof to that. Um, Colossians 1.19 speaks about the reason why Christ came, why he died on the cross. And, you know, just to, to read that, 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 that scripture, for God was pleased to have the, his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so following that call, um, the Lord opened the door for me to work with an organization that really captured that heart, the heart of, of, of that matter. Because as a medical profession, um, life in abundance, where the Lord uh, has me serving now, captured both the medical 
and the holistic dimension of, of empowerment. And life in abundance serves among the poorest, uh, the most vulnerable, the homeless, uh, the marginalized, really to bring uh, life and to bring it in its fullness, um, as John 10.10 10 will, will, will tell us. Serving to empower for us means that through the church, we obey the Great Commission, which is to go into all nations, um, and also, uh, to, to, uh, and then the Great Commandment, which is love God and love one another, to preach Christ in, in deed and also in word. Um, it helped me to understand truly that we're looking not at one aspect of man, but the totality of, of man, uh, that it's about peace with God, peace within, peace with our fellow man, and even with the environment. I just want to share some of um, what we do. We, we serve among the poor, and, and uh, this is a church in the eastern part of, of, uh, of our country. This church, you may not see very clearly from the picture, has um, a, a mud, this is mud, we call it mud, mud wall, um, and then iron sheets on top. This is a fairly well-to-do church compared to many others that we serve in that are all mud-covered and um, barely a roof. And this church serves this community. You can see the ground is really dry. They had had a drought. We had a drought in that area for about four years. We thank God um, we now has, have rain. These edges you can see are really sharp. You know, children play around there, and it's, um, it's, it's a fairly dangerous area. There's a bathroom in this corner that, you know, we thank God that some members of Southeast came along to, to, to help um, build. Um, around this church, as we've worked with this church, they have been a light to bring many people into the kingdom of God. Just in August, we had a dental camp where we showed the Jesus film in this, in this corner right here that was set up partnering with Life Ministry, which is Campus Crusade here. And many, many people gave their lives to the Lord and are now finding help and direction even working in the church. You may recognize some of the members there. Um, the same dental camp uh, had us training um, many, about 69 uh, oral health educators, um, agree, or, um, embracing the concept of training people to take care of their own health. In the next picture, you see everyone practicing the, the tooth brushing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a whole day of just imparting this information that puts the power in people's hands. This is in another part of the country that we serve, um, Makueni. And this here, the middle part um, of that is a house, a widow's house that had fallen in. Again, it was, it was mud, and when the rains came, the house just collapsed. And this here is a structure around which the, the church had taken as a project to help restore uh, the house for this, this young woman, uh, this uh, widow. Two of these are her sons, who are part of the class that was building, and actually this became their model project. So they practiced uh, while building and restoring the house, the widow's house. The gentleman at the end is the pastor of, of the church. 
many other things uh, happen. I'm just giving you a glimpse of, 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 what, of what we do. But just to be noted, as I, I pulled us to note a few things with the Johns Hopkins way of doing things, um, is that the church initiates, develops, and implements what, what they see as the needs in the community. As Life in Abundance, we, we help train them. And following that training, there's a sort of like their eyes go are open to see the real needs in the community. Um, there's also the fact that um, as, as little as possible, or, or initially we try and encourage the church to see their own resources within the communities. And it's amazing what um, people will do without money, uh, just to respond in the love of God to meet the needs of others. At the end of the time, we realize um, there's, people are affected in, in, in different ways, not just spiritually, but physically as well, um, through economic projects, also economically, socially, and in many other ways. And we realize that this transformation stays. As life in abundance, we are usually in a place for about three to five years, and after that we move out. And it's tremendous what has happened, how the, this um, empowered church then starts to empower others around, and the effect is um, multiplies. Truly, as we look at it, um, God receives the glory. Uh, no man can, can do what is being done uh, in, in our communities. Quickly then, let me come to a focus of just uh, looking at some things comparing what I'm calling transitory empowerment and, uh, and transformational empowerment, which is, uh, which is our core. Um, man initiated versus God initiated. Yes, the Johns Hopkins and other organizations who are working in de development um, do come in response to a need. But, but that, the cue is there is this, this problem in the country, let's come in. Um, it's what their, their business is about, they are looking for that. They don't really want to be involved in many other things. I remember doing uh, a project with uh, Johns Hopkins in the western part of our country and we found that really when we did a community diagnosis, what was uh, most important or what was prime was the water problem, was issues of economic, but we were not able to respond to that because you know, our cue was reproductive health, so hey, we go with that. Um, Human agenda versus um, God's agenda and purpose. Uh, and as I say these things, I make blanket statements, but we may, and, and I invite you to, we can discuss uh, the perspective. This is like, um, yeah. It's usually results-oriented, the, the transitory empowerment. Um, we were looking to drop the total fertility of women. Uh, usually it will be, something that, that we can see visibly. Um, at the end of the day, with, with the kind of programs we do with, with John's Hop, with the Life in Abundance, it's truly to serve God's end, transforming people into the likeness of Jesus Christ, recognizing that um, it's, it's not about achieving something in the sense of I have to physically see something, but um, as people are drawn to the Lord, he's changing them. We realize the sole provider um, in, in the development programs was the USAID, was other organizations, and, and we appreciate that. But with um, the LIA uh, focus, we recognize that it's even more than money. 
um, as, John, as, as LIA, we take time every Monday just to wait upon the Lord and we recognize our greatest resource is, is the heavenly blessing. That no, no money can buy uh, favor from people. Uh, no money will buy um, just a community embracing a concept. That, that will not work. Uh, sustainability is not through uh, more money. It's about God changing hearts and causing them to go in the way that he, he has called them to. The motivation um, on one side, you know, the need, employment was a key motivation on the Johns Hopkins side um, and versus the sense of we're waiting upon the Lord and saying, okay, even to go to Makweni was a God-led move. Um, to go to Thika was a God-led move and sensing where he wants to work and joining him to that. Um, the structure that we created and many organizations create in um, the transitory empowerment are man-made. In, in the case of Johns Hopkins, it was a state of the art. I mean, working through nationals, building this team that was responsible for the management, it, it doesn't get better. Um, but on th this other side, on the life in abundance, we recognize that the church is God's uh, embassy, really, for bringing light and life. And so we choose to go that way. The indicators, you know, we're looking at reducing total fertility on one side. And um, I don't want to be simplistic about it, but um, it's usually physical indicators, um, well-defined indicators. Right now in our countries, we have what we call medium um, development goals, the MDGs, and that's what everyone's <coughs> trying to get, get at. But um, with, the, with the, the LIA focus, we are looking at uh, how, how, has this, how has this have these people been transformed? How have individuals come into the greater knowledge of Jesus Christ? As I talked earlier about the time as um, uh, time impact for now as opposed to time and eternity uh, impacts one dimension, really usually the physical dimension in the case of what we did with, with Hopkins, and then the multi or the holistic impact with the programs we did. Um, what we saw with Johns Hopkins was almost directly um, attributable, attributable to what we put in. There was a lot of resources poured in. We did a lot of radio programs and getting a lot of communication out there. And it's no, no wonder we had the, the impact we did. Uh, whereas with Life in Abundance, it goes beyond the, the, the input that, that, that you will physically see and uh, has a, a divine dimension to it. This is one I want to talk about a little because at the end of the day in the transitory empowerment, uh, there's a sense in which um, the transformation or the change happens as long as those who are importing, inputting are there. But the moment there's a pulling away, you don't really see that continuing. With um, the transformational empowerment, there's a sense in which we are all involved, not just those we are working with to empower, but we ourselves are also uh, transformed in the, in, in, in the process. Um, the, the transitory empowerment receives world applause. We were getting the UN, UN AIDS um, uh, Award, Martin Luther Award, you know. The world recognizes those things. 
and, that, and that's okay. Um, but we want to go beyond that and receive God's approval. The sustainability beyond. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I, I have come to, to three things that I, I realize uh, are key. And these are, this is not an exhaustive list, just three things that I want to share about what I've discovered uh, in the transitory, uh, in the tra transformational empowerment. One that, although we have a model of how we do what we do, coming into a community, mobilizing the church, training her to embrace holistic um, transformation, um, you can never cut and paste from one church or one group of churches to another. Uh, you really have to wait for um, a leading from the Lord. With one church, it may be one way, it may be one person, it may be... I mean, the Lord will lead in ways that haven't, uh, pre we haven't previously uh, um, seen done. And then love becomes the only premise for engagement. Uh, without love, we have really no business engaging with, with, with communities and, and churches. That becomes our motivation so that we are willing to go beyond um, what is normally done. And we know that as we share God's love, his transformational power comes through and he's able to go beyond what we could ask or imagine. But then lastly, that God accomplishes his purpose through us and seeing ourselves again, as I had said earlier, as vessels through whom he works to bring his agenda to bear on situations, on individuals, on churches uh, that we serve in. So that at the end of the day, he and he alone receives the glory. So my journey has been an interesting one, um, starting from a place where... Uh, you could almost say it had a dependency dimension to it. Um, dentistry, clinical dentistry, uh, just focusing on people must come to the dentist to be kept healthy. Um, and almost uh, creating the more, it, it would run us out of business if everyone had their, their teeth you know, running well. So it becomes almost like you know, the mechanic who always creates a demand for his service. Um, so that kind of dependency mode to seeing a form of empowerment, as I served with Johns Hopkins, to this which um, you know, I'm calling transformational empowerment, that I realized that is, is the Christian mandate. Uh, I just want to share as I close that um, last week, uh, for about 10 days, I was in Jamaica. And in Jamaica, we're just getting involved, not as life in abundance, but with the whole concept of holistic ministry, getting involved with churches there to empower them in, in, the, in this approach. And we had 32 participants come to a 10-day long um, training. One of the ladies who is a, a leader of, she's a bishop's wife uh, who was sent to this uh, training, she said, she kept t uh, shaking her head and saying, I am so sad that we have wasted so much time. She felt such a sadness about uh, the way they had traditionally done church. Um, reaching people really just for the spiritual dimension. Preaching, we are going to heaven, and that being the only mind view, but being so closed to real needs in the community, not embracing the opportunities that God has had given them. Uh, at the end of the day, I sensed 
such a, a longing. They couldn't wait for the 10 days to finish to go and start making a difference in their community. They were not getting any money. It was just their minds that had been opened to seeing what God could do through them if they obeyed. And they allowed themselves to be vessels in his hands to bring transformation and wholeness. So that is it, the transformational empowerment. And that is our Christian mandate. Thank you very much. I invite any questions or comments or discussion. Can you talk a little bit more what your ministry is doing? I wasn't sure exactly what your life in abundance was. Okay, life in abundance was was set up to um, to respond to the call for holistic ministry, which means yes, beginning with the spiritual dimension, recognizing that evangelism and and discipleship is key, but going beyond that to respond to real developmental needs in a community and using the church seeing the church as the key key player in that process so that we work in communities uh, we work with churches to help them understand that the the whole uh, holistic ministry and then walk alongside them as they respond to you know whether it's children's um, orphans and vulnerable children or um, water and sanitation issues, HIV and AIDS, um, whatever it is that the church starts to see as needs in the community. And not as we are the church doing this to the community, but really engaging the community so that they build structures with the community. And the end goal is to transform the community. One of the most exciting things is to see a church um, set up a, you know, a church community committee where the church and the community come together and say, hey, this is our community. These are our children who are suffering. These, these are orphans. These are widows who need help. And then planning on a strategy together so that the community owns its, its, its responsibility and moves in a direction that they decide to move to, together. Yeah. Um, and then we as Johns Hopkins are facilitating that process. We see ourselves as midwives. Um, Life in Abundance works in seven countries in the eastern horn of Africa. So starting with Egypt, Djibouti, uh, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia, uh, and then Kenya. And um, we do this, uh, we use the the same strategy. In some countries, though, we are not able to work with the church directly. So we'll work with with a Christian organization that will do community-based work and do the same process, the same approach. So you're still somewhat affiliated with John Hopkins? No. completely separate. Uh, completely separate. Oh, you mentioned them in that, and I was like, oh. Okay, sorry. them to agree? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I should, they are life in abundance. How do you make connections with the church? Do they hear about you? Do you have, you know, how did it get started? I mean, I'm sure now there's... How it got started? Yeah, how do you sort of... Yeah, respond. Okay, let, let me answer those, those two. How it got started was our, our president, uh, Flor- Dr. Florence Mwindi, who will give, be giving a plenary uh, after this. The Lord spoke to her uh, the, the, and, and gave her a vision for, for responding to the whole person, um, so physical, spiritual, and the whole dimension, and called her to serve among the poor. So that was where she went. 
um, led her to Ethiopia and there started with a church, opened an opportunity for her to speak, uh, to, to, to work with a church. How it happens from community to com community is different. There can be the man of peace um, who comes and says, you know, we, we need help in our community. Uh, there can be, you know, this is a, a, an area. It usually comes from an invitation from the churches and our response to that as we wait upon the Lord. Right now in Kenya, the moment people start to hear about it, we have three different provinces that are wanting us to come and, and, and work with them, but we really are waiting for you know, a confirmation from the Lord and saying this is the way we should go. Yeah. through these um, parachurch organizations. In, um, in three countries that we work in, I believe it's Djibouti, in, um, uh, in Egypt, and uh, Eritrea, I think, um, we, we use the parachurch kind of organization. And actually, in those countries, we are, we are registered a little differently than we are in, in, life, in Kenya, where we have an open Christian uh, community. So there we find um, organizations of like mind helping us to do transformational work in the communities. Yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, interesting, though, because the couple that's working in, in Jamaica right now worked in Egypt, and they were sort of undercover of the Anglican church. Um, well, as soon as the government discovered that they were working to bring transformation, there was a problem with even renewing their visa. So it's, it's a work that needs a lot of covering, um, but it, it succeeds that way. Yeah. Do you work in the refugee camps? Um, we do in some countries. Egypt started off in a refu refugee uh, situation, um, but that will not be our typical, that's, that's, that's not a typical um, place. Because the, the, the refugee camp is not permanent. But we recognize, you see, the permanence is in the lives transformed. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, with the Egypt situation, they, some of the people they reached were Ethiopians who have then gone back to their country since and brought a lot of transformation there. But the mission still come to you. Yeah, 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 it is. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, the heart of it is to bring the individual to a place of transformation. These 10 days that we had, for instance, had uh, the participants share their journey of life. So each participant will trace back from where they started, you know, what they've gone through. And um, in that way, th the group also ministers to this individual who may have gone through hurts, through difficult times, just to see that, you know, ministry is not about doing, it's about being. So that as someone is transformed, they are able to transform others. You're able to be a vessel that will represent Christ. But beside that, we train on spiritual mapping. We, we train on um, uh, how do you engage the community, what are, you know, viable structures. We train on environment. We train, we give them start, just starter lessons on things like uh, primary health care, on uh, the works. There are over 50 different topics that we, we, we train on. Uh, we especially focus on worldview. 
because a lot of times people are tripped up by the way they think. You know, as a man thinketh, as the Bible says, so is he. And so that's, that's the area that we use, uh, we, we, we focus on a lot. Um, they're also taught how to be in team. That's an, another great focus, how to work in teams. Uh, we take time to, 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 to look at issues that, that frustrate team effort and, and, and help them understand that we are better together. Uh, so through a period of 10 days, and it's really with an approach that helps us focus on the learner, hear the spirit from day to day. So for instance, in the 10-day in the training in Jamaica, we had a program lined up for them. But as we began to work with them, we realized that you know, Jamaica is a country that has had a lot of brokenness in families, and we needed to work more in that area. So we'll change the, the schedule as it goes along. It's, it's um, adult learning so that it's not me standing here to lecture. It's a lot of facilitating discussions around various topics and starting where the learner is and, and helping them build a, a knowledge base that will help them. Um, it's a lot of sharing. Uh, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. 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 Spiritual mapping means um, understanding that um, there are the behavior you see in, in people has to do with the spiritual with the spiritual dimension that we may not see with our physical eyes, but that can be found out from the way people behave, the way they associate, the way they, they live out their lives. And by taking the time to talk to different people in the community, by observing, by praying, you'll come to understand why a certain thing happened in a certain community. Like for instance, in Jamaica, just because I've been there recently, the pattern has been, you know, homes broken, a comfort coming to a comfort of, you know, uh, people are okay with, uh, you know, a second, uh, two or three um, families, uh, difficulty. You no, know, I think the better example is there's a lot of violence a lot of shooting. We did an exercise where we found that the majority of deaths come as a result of gunshots. Well, as we started to talk to the people, we realized that in their history, there's a lot of that. And spiritual mapping has to do with identifying the source of behavior that we see in people today. And realizing that a lot of it will not be dealt with through physical programs, teaching, will be dealt with through spiritual warfare, where you take, uh, you know, the God-given authority to, to change things. In my own life, my second name is, is Njoki. Njoki in our tradition means, or in our language means, goes back, has come back. And um, I didn't know that name had any, any issue until the Holy Spirit quickened me and made me realize that there, there is a tendency to leave situations, to go back, to go back. In my name, I wouldn't have known that. But that, that was a personal spiritual mapping where I realized this name was ensnaring me and I was able to pray through that. So in communities, we need to do that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you. Because as a missionary, as a full-time missionary, I'm working in empowering the church and I see the church take initiative and 
um, we, for example, do a, a children's feeding program. And so I see the church like going out and trying to raise support mm-hmm. and to get food, and they don't depend on me to bring in the money. But coming back here and sharing, you know, sometimes it's easy to get caught up into how many people get saved or mm-hmm. how much money we spent or even what the church is doing and like to even boast, you know, numbers. Mm-hmm. But it really is about transformation, and it's so hard for me to sometimes share that, you know, to mm-hmm. say, look at what, can you imagine, like, the church going out and saying, instead of sitting still and saying, you know, Rachel, you bring in the money, we're going to go and seek that. That's huge. Yeah, and that's a huge so I appreciate what you're saying, to, you know, today, because um, to not think it's about visible results, it's about eternal results. And so I appreciate that because that just gives me hope in my work that I don't have to come back. And, you know, if people don't want to support me because I don't give them numbers, well, God will provide. But it's about their hearts and my heart and how we are, um, you know, reaching others and just our own life, my life being transformed. Mm -hmm. As a missionary, it's not just about them, it's also about me. Yes, yes. And sometimes I forget that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, thank you too. Thank you. Yes, Ben. Dr. Ehrlich, would you like to discuss for a minute about like, some of the micro enterprises to help with the sustainability of the church? Uh, okay. Um, ben, ben knows about the program because he's been in Kenya and uh, has a heart for that work. Uh, he, he's asking about the, the micro enterprise um, initiatives that some of the churches are coming into. Well, a lot of the people we deal with are very poor. Um, Kenya has 60% people live below a dollar a day. It's, it's a very, very difficult situation. So imagine the possibility for a church, and this is what is happening in some churches, to start doing work that will help them. Uh, for instance, um, doing um, right now there's one starting where they will make shoes out of local material and um, help them do such quality work that they will be export quality. And that becoming an income for not just an individual, but many in the church. And because you have to, if you're talking of uh, export, it has to be in quantity as well. So involving many, many people in that that venture. It becomes a very empowering and hope-bringing enterprise. And the fact that it's not just being done as a micro-enterprise in itself, you're building the person's uh, spirit, you know, spiritually. You're helping them to see it's not about me. It's about, you know, the neighbor. It's about, you know, and and just receiving that 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 whole understanding. I know you have a heart for the hyacinth factory. <laughs> I know that. That's another possibility. We have a, a menace weed in Kenya called the hyacinth. I don't know whether you're familiar with it. Uh, the hyacinth has covered a lot of our water bodies and threatened our fishery, um, fishery and, and uh, even sport that is, is done on water. And that plant is very profitable if it's harvested and processed to make fiber and so can make furniture, uh, stationery, um, a lot of things that, that could be put to good use and, and be very profitable for the community. And that's one of the things we, we hope to explore in the western part of our country where we have Lake Victoria that's, that's been really, really covered with, with hyacinth. Yeah, great hope there. And, and it's really living, 
one day at a time. It's exciting because the Lord brings different opportunities. You know, you see something that previously was, was a menace turning into something that will benefit a community infinitely. It's, it's truly, truly exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you.